it's a message that our church needs to hear today. This church, every church in the United States, every church in the world, I fear, especially here in the United States, that we are accustomed to walking in the ways of the Gentiles. We're walking in the way of the world. There is a distinct way that believers in Jesus Christ are to live and to act, and there's the way that the world lives and acts. You're looking too far for that need to have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round, and it's taking you for a ride. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I've titled this, Put Off, Be Renewed, and Put On. We never know the impact that our service to the Lord can have on someone else. And it's each of us doing our part. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. Now he moves into, he shifts gears. And he begins to compare, and I had said earlier in the teacher service that it's equally divided, not by verses, but almost by word content. He's divided verses 17 through 24, speaking about the way the Gentiles in the world live and the way we are to live. Now, remember, the book of Ephesians has been written to Gentile church. So he's not talking to the Jewish people here. He's talking to Gentiles who used to not be saved, but now they are saved. And he begins to compare the way of the Gentiles, how they walked in their futility of mind. But he says to the church now who by their nationality, they're still Gentiles. They're still non-Jewish, but they're believers now. And as believers... You're not supposed to walk the way of the Gentiles any longer. And it's a message that our church needs to hear today. This church, every church in the United States, every church in the world, I fear, especially here in the United States, that we are accustomed to walking in the ways of the Gentiles. We're walking in the way of the world. And our minds, our actions, our lives are being corrupted, and we are not living Christ as we should. I'll have an example for you on this that David Hawking shared with me uh, just a few weeks ago, and it's a great example of walking in the ways of the Gentiles. We might be better able to say in the way of the world. It makes us understand that 
There is a distinct way that believers in Jesus Christ are to live and to act, and there's the way that the world lives and acts. In the first three verses, we have the way of the world. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. This is the way that the rest of the Gentiles walk. This is the way Paul could say to them, this is the way you used to be. He does say it in another portion of the epistles. But we're not to be that way anymore. But let's go ahead and look at how the world walks. First of all, we see that uh, they walk in the futility of their mind. It suggests being empty or void. It's a mind that has no purpose. They're just kind of going about. And it reminded me this morning of but Operation Wall Street. But one thing that is definitely clear or I should say very unclear, they have these rallies, but they, they, all they know is that we don't have it, you guys want it, we want what you have, give it to us type thing, and they're saying that they're the 99%. You remember, do you know that the French Revolution uh, back in the 1700s, they were saying that we're part of the 98%, and they revolted against their country, and because of this same thing. It's a very dangerous thing. There is no real sense of a definite course that we want to go on. That seems to be the case with Operation Wall Street, but it seems to be the case so much, especially I think about our teenagers, our 20-somethings, that we got married when we were 18. I remember a guy talking to me when I was probably still 18 or 19 at that time. I was working at John's Manville in a factory at the at that time, and he asked me, so you're living with your parents? And I was like, no, I'm married now, and, and I just disconnected. If you're married, you don't live with mom and dad. You know, there was, I was 18, it's time to get out of the house. In fact, my mom and dad were married at 18. All of my sisters were married at 18. Lily and I got married when we were 18. It seemed like that's what you did, and I know that's not true today. Now it's probably 32 years old, but the thing is, is one point I'm trying to make is there was an instant responsibility and Lily and I kind of rose up to the task of the responsibility. It wasn't an aimless, I don't know what I'm going to do, is we have a family to take care of now and we need to try to get our act together. We may not start it well, but we started our marriage with God and in repentance and asking forgiveness and God has blessed us since. But there wasn't this aimlessness. There was, I need work. I got to provide for my family. My son has injured his wrist, and I, I know how that feels. I've had problems as a brick mason with my joints in repetitive motion. And a lot of you have had problems with repetitive motion that, you know, your hands, your wrists, your elbows, they just hurt because of the work that you do. I've been there, and my son, at one point, he asked me, he goes, what'd you do about it? And I said, well, I went to the doctor. He said, you'll have to take six weeks off. I said, I couldn't do that because I have wife and two kids to support. I worked through it. And 
I know you can't always do that, but that particular time, that's what I did. I was in pain, but I worked through the pain because there was a responsibility. So much of our world, we have this futility of mind. There's a void of any useful goal in their lives. It's only used three times in Scripture, this word for futility. It's found here in verse 17. It's also found in Romans 8.20 where it says, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Remember when God cursed at the fall in Genesis chapter 3? He never said to Adam, Adam, you are cursed. What he said was, Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. He cursed the earth because of man's fall. And the earth is subjected to this futility. It tells us here in Romans 20, not willingly, the earth is saying, I want to be free of this too. And they're waiting to be delivered by Jesus Christ just as we are waiting to be delivered by Jesus Christ. It's also used in 2 Peter 2.18 where he's referring to false teachers who speak with great swelling words of emptiness. That's the same word. And they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And so there's these false teachers who are, they are teaching just emptiness, and it's happening in our churches to this day. And so the unbelieving Gentiles, they failed to achieve a true purpose because they had rejected God in their minds. By rejecting God, they began to worship their fleshly appetites. It tells us, secondly, that they had their understanding darkened. So the result of walking in this aimless, no-goal futility of minds, the Gentiles continued this downward spiral until they had their understanding darkened. And Paul repeats this in Romans in a different way, but in Romans 1, verses 20 through 21, he says, For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes are clearly seen. That verse right there, that line in that verse has always been interesting to me because people will say, how do you know that God is real? And Paul tells us, since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. Just look around at the world and the creation and you'll know that there is God. That's how it should be. It should be an intuitive knowledge. It should just be part of our DNA. But then he goes on to say, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because they rejected God, and in our world today we find that there is this rejection. And I say world, it's happening throughout the world, but especially here in the United States, there is this rejection of God. Now, the dangerous thing, what they're desiring out of the country is socialism. It's, it's, a, it's a way of socialism. And in socialism, when it's full-blown, it is apart from God. There's a danger there. We're going to be all equal. We're going to be all the same. But as we know, in communism, there was this denial of God himself. And it's happened throughout history at different times. Paul even writing about it here in Romans 1.21, that they knew God, but they did not glorify him as God. They were not thankful, and their thoughts became futile, and their hearts were darkened. 
and it's just a downward spiral. The next step is that they're alienated from a life of God. It, it's a word that means to be estranged. And, and so you think about a couple that they're no longer together. You know, they're not divorced. They're maybe separated. I've heard people say we're estranged. We're just not together any longer. They could still be married, but they're alienated to one another. And it's a word that, again, only occurs three times in Scripture. It always speaks about the condition prior to salvation. Here it's talking about the Gentiles who are not saved, that they're alienated from the life of God. In Colossians 1.29, it's referring to the believers, but Paul says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet he is now reconciled. So Paul says, you used to be the alien. Ephesians 2.12. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That describes all of us prior to salvation, but it describes the world today that does not know Christ. They are alienated from the life of God. And he gives us two reasons why they're alienated from the life of God. First, because of the ignorance that is in them. Agnoia is the Greek word there. And it means a, a lack of knowledge, a want of knowledge or perception. They're ignorant of the things of God. And as a result of that, in Galatians 4, 8, it tells us, Indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature are not God's. Everybody worships something. I think God's designed it, and we like to use DNA today because science has discovered this uh, genetic code in our body, but I believe that God has designed in us the desire to worship. And when we get away from God himself, we'll worship something. It could be that we worship ourselves, and there's a lot of people who self-worship. They worship their, their own lives and themselves, or they worship others. You know, our TV shows it seems it's all about idol worship, isn't it? They even title the shows with idol in the name. We've got to worship someone. And it gets so bizarre. Not only for the people worshiping sometimes, they get so weird, but also the ones who are being worshipped because we're not to be worshipped. I think it messes with our head when people start worshiping us. That's why even as believers, you need to be careful when people praise you Try to give that praise back to the Lord because he's the one that allowed you to be in the position in the first place to receive the praise. But don't receive it as worship. Receive it that God is using you in such a way that others are touched through it. It's a dangerous place for pastors. So there's one of the reasons they're alienated from the life of God is because of the ignorance that's in him. Secondly, it's because of the blindness in their hearts. And that blindness can also be translated, in the King James has been translated as stupidity or callousness, that you have this hardness in the heart. There's a only used three times in Scripture. There's a few of these that's only been used three times in Scripture. That usually doesn't happen too often. But Jesus used it of the Pharisees and the Herodians when he was in the... Uh, Synagogue, if you remember, there was a man in that synagogue with a withered hand. And they were watching Jesus to see what he might do. They knew that Jesus 
would heal the person with the greatest need. And all they had to do was look around and they saw this man with the withered hand and said, well, Jesus, he'll want to help him. And Jesus, looking around in Mark 3, 5, it says he looked around at them in anger, being grieved by the hardness, it's the same word that's translated as blindness in our text, of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. The problem wasn't that Jesus healed the man. The problem was they felt that he went against the law of Moses by healing this man on the Sabbath day. The issue was the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, your hearts are hard. That you would rather see evil done than to see good done on that Sabbath day. The second time it's used again in Scripture, it's Paul referring to the salvation of Israel. The coming salvation of Israel is an a live issue for us today because we've learned just a few weeks ago from Dr. David Hawking that there is this thing called replacement theology which teaches that Israel as a nation, as a children of a people, no longer are in God's account, that God's done with them. He has replaced the people of Israel with the church and we are now Israel. It's known as replacement theology. But Paul, he counters it in Romans 11.25. He says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And to this day, there are pastors, there are teachers, there are whole denominations that are ignorant to this and Paul says don't do this and we're blind to it to this day I don't think we are here hopefully but when Hawking was here a few weeks ago I was taking him to the airport that afternoon and he said that I had a few people come up and tell me that I've changed my opinion about Israel and that was the whole purpose I, if it's just one or two that changed their opinion that was the whole purpose of the conference was to get people to think about God's plan for the nation of Israel, even in our day. Next, we find that the Gentiles are past feeling. It's a word that has been translated as having your conscience seared as with a hot iron in 1 Timothy 4.2. That you're past feeling. I don't know if you have parts of your body. I have a, a left thumb that doesn't feel right anymore. And I'm fortunate to still have a left thumb because I have uh, totally ripped the nail off it. I got it stuck in a grinder once and had five stitches to put it back together. And then I took a razor knife. You know when you cut with your knife, they tell you to cut away from your body? I knew that, but I still was cutting toward my body. And when it slipped off the piece of wood, my thumb was right there to catch the blade. Another five stitches. There's only really one part on this thumb that is actually still uninjured. I'm sure I'll get it one day. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel right anymore. It's, it's past feelings because I've damaged the nerve so bad in this thumb that it just feels weird, and that's just how it is. But that's how our hearts can get to. We can get past feelings, past consciousness, something that God has instilled in us, something that God has planted in us, and as a result of getting past the feelings, two things happen. First, they gave themselves over to lewdness. It's a word that 
it has a sensual meaning, but especially to sexual excess. And then secondly, to work all cleanness with greediness. And the, the uncleanness, again, is an impurity, uh, whether physically or a morality, there's this uncleanness in their life. It's a state of moral impurity, but it's with greediness. There's this idea that they stepped across the boundary, but they keep wanting more and more and more. The idea of greediness, right? You never get enough. You never get enough. But this is especially in regards to the sensual appetites, uh, sexual pleasures. Now, has Paul been describing our world today here in the United States? It seems like it is to me. It, it's getting worse and worse out in the world. God said in Romans 1.24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. See, the word tells us here that they were past feeling and they gave themselves over to the lewdness, to the works of uncleanness, to greediness, and as a result, God gave them up. You know, I think God does that with us. I, I think that God works in our lives. He at times can put pressure on us. He'll let you go so far and he'll try to redeem you. He'll try to save you. He'll try to bring you back. But there'll be a point to where he says, all right, you've crossed the line. I'm going to let the world have you. God knows if he'll return back to him or not. But there's that place where you can get so callous that you don't care any longer. And you're going to say, I, God, I don't care what you want, what you command. I'm going to do what I want. And God says, okay, see how the world is without me. And he'll back off. The purpose, Paul talks about it in First and Second Corinthians, he talks about a man who was having sex with his father's wife. Now, the idea is that it wasn't his mom, but dad had gotten remarried. But this guy was in the church. He was having sexual relations with his stepmom. And Paul said, push him out into the world. Let Satan have him for a season. But he said that his soul might be saved. There was a purpose for the discipline. And in 2 Corinthians, although he doesn't refer back to the same man, he refers to a situation which I um, dealt with you about, but he does say, bring him back into the fellowship now. And it's believed to be the same person that the church put him out and he repented, but they didn't let him come back in. And Paul said, let him come back in. Otherwise, it could get worse for him. You have to take him back in that Christ can work in his life. And so there's this danger here. For the Gentiles, just to summarize this, there is the overwhelming desire to have more of something, this greed, more futility of their mind, more darkness in their understanding, living a, more of a life that is alienated from God, which leads to a hardness of heart, searing their conscience until they are past feeling, causing them to seek out more lewdness, more uncleanness, more greediness, and the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And we all used to be there apart from Christ. Maybe you're still there today. But as believers, that is not supposed to be our cycle. In closing today, we've been reminded of our past life. Maybe it's not that distance of a past. And maybe some of that past has been trying to creep into your new life. If that's true, it's time to put off once again. So my prayer is that we'd make that commitment to put off. That we would be willing to be renewed. 
in the spirit of our mind. Let God's work have his way in our lives to be ruled by God and that we'd put on the new man which was created to God in righteousness and in true holiness. Father, thank you so much for your word and we thank you for this time together. I believe, Lord, a hard portion of scripture in the sense that I know I'm not innocent. I know there are things I need to put off. I'm sure it's true for each of us. Problem is, Lord, as the world tells us that it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. You're fine. But the struggle I have, Lord, is that your word tells me it is a big deal. That I should worry about it. Because, Lord, I want righteousness. I want true holiness. And what I need is you. Lord, help me to seek your face daily. Help us, Lord, to seek your face daily. That we would be continually being renewed by your Holy Spirit with our minds, with our thoughts, with our actions. Lord, that we would continually be putting off, throwing off that old garment and putting on the new man that has been created in Christ Jesus, the one that you want us to be, Lord. We are yours. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let God